0: You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy.
1: Today, I'm excited to be joined by Daniel Major. Daniel is the CEO of GovX Uranium, a mineral resources company focused on the exploration and development of various uranium deposits located throughout Africa. With over 30 years experience in the mining industry, Daniel has established an impressive portfolio and was recently the chief executive of Basic Element Mining and Resource Division in Russia. Welcome Daniel, thank you very much for joining us today. Your career has spanned diverse mining focuses. Currently, you focused on uranium in Africa. Can you get us started with a bit of background? What got you into this world?
2: Uh, yeah, um, I actually got into mining by accident. Um, I'm a bit dyslexic, and, and I knew I had to do something that was engineering because I could I could do math, science, and, and those things. So, uh, in the good old days when the careers people came around school and um, They'd ask you questions, and for some reason, they must have had a problem in the prisons during my time, because everybody was suggested become a prison prison officer. Oh, uh, that, wow. wasn't, that wasn't going to be for me, but they they said, "Well, write to all the engineering facility Faculty. So I did, and the only ones who wrote back to me were the mining engineers. So I thought, well, those are polite people. I'll go and be a mining engineer. So they kind of set me on my path, and I thought, this is great. I get to travel around the world. So. I then went to the Campbell School of Mines. Um, At the time, there were six mining universities in the UK. There is none. Well, one left, Campbell. The only one left. So times have changed. um, But I ended up in the uranium industry in uh, what was then Southwest Africa, uh, then became Namibia while I was there. um, So I watched the uranium price plummet to $8 a pound and had to go and find a job in the platinum industry. Uh, in South Africa. So I worked there. Uh, then I worked for one of the big mining houses doing M&A. Then I moved into the investment banking side because I wanted to understand the money side. I understood the engineering side. Now I want to understand the money side of it. Um, so I did that for a while uh, until I literally got bored of writing research um, and had to get a real job. As an engineer, I had to build things and I didn't feel I was adding that. I mean, we were number one rated team. Nice. But I just was like, I'm, an I need to build something. Um, so I went to work in Russia um, for a while uh, for a gentleman by the name of Oleg Deripaska. I was running is, I was running eight percent of the world's ferromolybdenum um, out of pulp and paper business out of there. Um, and then in 2008, when the market crashed, I had to go somewhere else. So I went into Canada, South America for a while doing gold. Um, and then in 2012, came back to uranium and came back to Africa, which really kind of fits in my route.
1: Almost full circle. That's pretty awesome. I must admit, I do like the going into the money side for a while because it's probably going to prove to be pretty beneficial once you start building the companies, as you say, to actually understand it from both sides and to have a network.
2: Well, it is. And and to understand, you know, when you're at, it really highlighted to me when one day we were working on a project, and you, as an engineer, you sit down and you go through all the numbers and whatever, and then some bank and you sort of carve some cap, some capital off here, and you carve some opex, and you think this is great. Then the financier comes in and says three hundred million on a nifty financing scheme, and you think, huh, why did we do all this work when it was just some guy with a, a whiteboard um, yeah. needed to do it at the very end? And and then the other thing is an analyst and watching other analysts in the other sectors, you. You learn a lot about management, um, what shareholders like, what investors like, you know, how people see small companies versus big companies, all of these kind of things. And you get a a greater sense. So, you know, I think it set me in good stead that I started my career working night shifts, working shifts for a year, hauling cables, you know, getting dirty, getting covered in blackjack, the horrible grease that's really hard to get off, you know, and then, (laughs) then end up in the city wearing a three piece suit. Um, and so you get the different parts of it I've traveled around the world and and that's helped as well you know working in Russia working in different parts of Africa in South America I was in Brazil for a while you you get to appreciate the different cultures uh, that you have to work with And, and, and that's something you have to learn as well that you know cultures are very different and you have to figure out how each culture is going to work. And even within our own company, you know, we have three different African countries. We have Niger, we have Mali and Zambia, and and each of them is different. They have some similarities, but they are, in many ways, very different cultures as well. And particularly when we're looking at things like CSR programs, our ESG programs, Mm. you know, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. You have to work with the community on those and understand what they need. Um, and, how, and how that fits in with your policies and, and programs.
1: Yeah, very, very important. And I must admit, getting your hands dirty and doing the, the full circle, is it's both interesting and valuable because it's amazing how that type of thing comes back to you after the fact. So can you tell us a little about GovX? What are you doing in the company at the moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're having a good time. Um, GovX is... Uh, Is an African-focused uranium development company. So it started back in 2007 by a gentleman by the name of Govin Friedland, who's Robert Friedland's son. So we have pedigree. Um, Govin at the time was working for his father, um, working in in Beijing. Um, He's an avid runner, uh, you know, and uh, realized that, you know, China was going to go nuclear. Um, And his father always says, if you're going to mine something, mine something the Chinese want um and he went to you know the one of the biggest jurisdictions for uranium which is niger Mm -hmm. and picked up a series of licenses so in 2008 we started drilling i joined in 2012 by that time we'd already defined 100 million pounds of uranium in the ground which at the time big resource even now we're probably second or third largest in resource globally um we then in 2015, got that permitted. It took us five months from time that we had put the application. Another reason why you work in Africa, because it's just so much easier to get things done. Well, governments are uh, commodity GDP driven. And so, you know, the emphasis to get the commodity businesses running and moving the areas are large uh, anyway, so there's a lot of space for people. And as long as you're obeying international rules and doing things right, you know they're very keen to get mines up and create jobs, create revenue for the government. I mean, Niger, ten percent of its budget, uh, it comes from revenue taxes that were associated to the uranium industry from Orano. Oh, Sixty percent of its exports. Um, you know, so we then decided we needed to spread our portfolio. Uh, we were all of our eggs in one basket in one country. Um, and so we added Zambia um, with a, a very interesting project down there, already permitted, ready to go. Uh, and then we added another one in Mali, uh, more of an exploration play, uh, but with a known resource and a known technical report out there. Um, so we're now three projects. Our focus is the Nigerian project called Maduela, um And that one is all permitted we're finishing off the feasibility study in the first half of this year um and hopefully with the rising uranium market which we now are seeing in front of ourselves we can probably touch on that during our our chat um we're looking at uh, getting that one financed by the end of this year hopefully um depending on how things go um with a target of 2025 actually being a producer of uranium oh, uh,
1: fantastic
2: and then so, we'll follow that with our Zambian project a couple of years after that. And then we'll see where our Mali project fits into that.
1: Fantastic. So that's awesome. So you're actually in the process of moving from the exploration to the development phase already. And and actually, oh, you're going to operate the mines yourself. I that's our intention. Uh,
2: I mean, obviously, you know, you never know someone comes through and writes you an egregiously large check, which you can't refuse. Yeah. Um, you know and if that's the case then we will take the egregiously large check um but you know at at the end of the day you have to do the right thing at the management anyway and the best the right thing to do is actually go down that development path it adds value for everybody there's no point in you thinking i'm just going to sell this project to somebody else because you don't do the full proper job um Mm -hmm. and you're you're underselling everybody by doing that in all the stakeholders because you know you don't put a proper feasibility study out because you're not expecting to build it so you know you aren't setting it up properly for the communities all of these things that are important so you do have to do the job properly all the way through you do not know if somebody's going to turn up or when they will turn up but what you are doing you know if it's much later down at least if somebody comes in, you can say, well, look, this is what I've got organized. It's already done. You just need to take this and finish the job off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important to us because, you know, we have, we run a hundred percent local employment strategy on all of our, pro- I have no experience operating in Africa at all. Um, we have a couple, obviously external guys who go in and look at things, including myself, but, you know, we commit to very local. And so you, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing for those guys as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is a very different approach to what some of the mining companies have taken. So there's a very big focus on mining in Africa. Is it because it's a particularly good area or is it the regulatory environment that makes it so attractive at the moment?
2: I think it's a number of factors. I think the first thing obviously is Africa for historical reasons is massively underexplored mm. um, you know it, when you look at the big mining houses where they've spent money there's always been a perception to invest in risk-free areas so right. in other words somewhere you could buy a starbucks um and you know that and that's a problem because you do end up with other risks environmental risks you know social risks yeah. That, that have to be dealt with. And, and you've seen those problems. I mean, even in, particularly in Canada, mm-hmm. um, you know, where, you know, local groups have a lot more power over what your projects can do. And yes. it takes you, you know, six or seven years to permit a mine, whereas we can get one done in five months. Um, so, you know, there's clearly a lot of resource. Uh, the governments are very keen to get mines up and running because it's a big part of their GDP so Mm -hmm. unlike you know Canada or the US or somewhere like that whereas mining yeah it's big but it's relatively small you know particularly put yourself against oil or something like that whereas you look at Zambia with copper Niger for uranium Namibia for uranium as well these are big commodities um, as a part thereof so and I think you see a in most of Africa, as a result, you see a pragmatism with the governments. Um, I mean, in Niger, they've not changed the mining code really to, since 2006. There's a small change coming through soon, but it's really a tweaking. They're just tidying it up rather than changing it. Um, they, Zambia, again, a mining country. Yes, yeah, some of them have their ups and downs, but at the end of the day, it's pretty steady. Um, and there's a focus to go through, we can pick up staff, uh, and even in Mali. Uh, I mean, Mali has gone from you know years ago hardly being a mining country at all, is now the fourth largest gold producer in Africa. Um, so they grow uh, and they develop, and uh, you have to be willing to accept a different set of risks. Um, but you know, this is mining; it's a risky business um but but your risks are, are generally controllable and you know even in other parts of the world that are deemed safe you know you look at quebec where you know suddenly the uranium company and the two suddenly found they weren't going anywhere um you know and then more recently in saskatoon you have um, the Cree indicating they're not actually comfortable with having five uranium mines. Right. Um, you know how that will play out. We don't know. Probably right. not anything, but it, it just flags that there is a risk there. It, um, yeah, so, there's you risk know, we,
1: everywhere. What, it's business. It's, I mean, you, you can't get business. away from it.
2: Exactly so. right. And and I think Africa, you can generally deal with those risks. Um, you 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 know they're coming in some mm-hmm. way. Um, you can deal with what you can see. Yeah, more uh, and, we, and we find, you know, the governments I and mean, when we talk to the governments all the time, um, are very supportive. Um, you know, as long as you're communicating and then telling them what you're doing and you're committing and delivering on your commitments, then everybody's happy.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I must admit it. I-, I loved working in Africa. I worked in several of the countries and... The more you talk to the governments, the better your relationship. And as you say, you can, you can certainly manage the risk. And it's, it's going to be great to see Africa doing well. I mean, we know yes. that it's an underdeveloped area as a whole and they've got so much potential. So companies like yours willing to work there. It's fantastic, quite honestly. So yeah. traditionally, Mining, well, historically, mining has had a bad reputation on the ESG side. What is changing in the mining world, and specifically in Africa, are you seeing a lot of changes?
2: Um, firstly, I think the, the bad reputation is completely misplaced. <laughs> uh, it's for people who actually don't know mining. Um, yes, really. Um, you know, mining companies have for a long time worked with their communities, you know, are actually at the forefront of doing things for ESG. I mean, you occasionally have things that come up. Um, some, most of them are very historical. And I think mm-hmm. one thing you have seen is that historical patriarchal approach that the big mining houses had. But I think if you looked at mining in the certainly in my career time, um, you know, Companies have been looking after their communities and doing what they can in general, particularly Canadian companies, for a very long time. And ESG is not really something new. Um, It's just people want to flag things up. You know, as companies, you know, I think people are surprised how technologically focused we are as an industry. Mm -hmm. We are also very conservative about technology, you know, uh, because we have to. We're, we're a capitally intensive industry um, and you, you don't suddenly just make changes. Um, things have got to be tested. You've got to know it's going to work because you're in there for a long haul yeah. on things. So make sure you've got it right. I think where some of the things have failed, is it, obviously things like the tailings dams issues have become mm-hmm. an issue uh, and I agree; those it needed refining and improving and standardizing, but a lot of companies have been on that for a long time um, and, and going in the right direction. I think you know, um, local content again has been a, a long play through. As you can see, you know, as I said earlier, now there are only one mining project uh, university here in the UK now. There were six, and, and the UK used to be a source of engineers for Africa. Well, now Africa is the source for engineers for Africa, um, which, which is good. the way which is the way it should be. Yeah. Um, so I think you know we as an industry appreciate you know there is more spotlight on us. Um, you have to do more. We tend to be in places that you know people would rather not see a hole in the ground quite often. Um, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, that's the industry we are in. Um, in Goviex particularly, you know we take this very seriously, we always have. I mean, we've operated since 2008, never had an accident. We've done major projects with our communities and we work with them. We focus on things like uh, food. Um, In Zambia, for example, we give grain every year for 176 families for them to put their crops out. We've been working with them to change the crops because of the drought effects we move from maize to sorghum, uh, we provide water particularly in Niger and Zambia. You know when you've watched young girls digging a hole in the riverbed just to get their water and you realize that's just at the beginning of the dry season and they're competing against animals all the time to get to their water and it's deeper and deeper. Um, then yeah, putting in water water is you know something we can do. We support education education for girls in zambia we run an adult education program for for people who you know went to didn't finish school and would like that opportunity to do it so you are always looking for things that where you can support the community and you've got to build with the community as well uh you know there's no point in offering them something like a you know a mercedes garage when you know they're still at an earlier stage they still need water they still need something else build up the community with you um and provide the services that they need and and culturally they're different as well different groups want to look at the marley for example we tend to focus on agriculture it's the thing they're looking for support on um crop diversification uh we've done beekeeping there for the young guys as well the ladies they tend to look at market gardening more is their angle that they want to focus on so each one is is different and you know with regarding the design that we put together obviously now clean energy is more important um you know and and it's been something for us but if we can cut our costs then more than happy to push down that way the industry as a whole is is advancing a long way down ways to spread that through the pipeline and and for us water um Mm -hmm. we're in the middle of the Sahara desert we have a lot of water not a problem but we kind of look at it and say but it's just because it's there we don't have to use it so what can we do to try and reduce the amount of water we will consume um even though there's so much of it we don't need to worry but let's be sensible about it because the generations in the future will want it.
1: Yeah, pretty awesome. And I must admit, I mean, it certainly sounds like it's almost a no-brainer for you to move into the development phase because you're actually putting all these processes and infrastructures and methods of operating in place already. So now you, your uh, initial target is obviously uranium. Yeah. Um, So, where do you see the uranium market going in the future? Um, where's the commodity uh, you know, headed? It,
2: it's had a great year. Um, I mean, we we entered last year at thirty dollars a pound. In twenty sixteen, we were at sixteen dollars a pound, and we finished the year at about forty two dollars a pound, and we're already up at forty five. So, it, you, your listeners, you know, uranium's used really for one thing and one thing only, which is energy generation on nuclear power,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and Nuclear power um, has one big benefit: it, it produces energy without producing carbon dioxide. Um, you know, it does; pro- it produces less emissions than re- the renewables themselves. Um, so, you know, it's a very robust nuclear power. Consumes less commodities per kilowatt as well than its peers. Uh, they are expensive to build. Uh, I mean, no question, yeah. but they're long-life assets. Um, And a lot of that cost that's there is regulatory, um, has been coming through and the the increased commitment for safety. I mean, yes, there are three major events that have occurred, but only one of them really had any impact on anybody, which was Chernobyl. The other two are just you know, pretty well insignificant. I mean, no one has died as a result of Three Mile Island, or and there's mm-hmm. one person at Fukushima. But what it does do is produces a lot of stable power. What you're also seeing um, as we move forward is about 60% of the energy generated in a nuclear power station is lost. Um, oh, it just goes wow. up to steam. Because um, you produce a lot of heat.
0: Yes.
2: Um, and so what you're seeing is... The industry on the big reactors are doing two, well, three things. One, upscaling them where they can so they make them bigger um, and get more energy out of them by bringing new turbines. You know, they're designed yeah. for 40 years. So you can bring in new, better, t- efficient turbines. You get more power out of it. You can make them last longer. The U.S. is now pushing them out to 80 years of life because the cores were so uh, over-engineered yeah. that you can make them last longer. Um, some companies now are converting them to allow to use that extra energy for hydrogen production Um, you're looking at centralized heating particularly places like china and russia and sweden where you take that heat during the all year round and heat hot water up
1: Um,
2: and then desalination um, because you it needs hot a lot of heat so you just take that heat and just use it there so you're seeing all of those things so People have now kind of pushed into the renewables and are realizing renewables don't work everywhere. They're great if you're in a windy place and they're great in a sunny place, but if you're in neither of those, then, or you don't have a lot of land, uh, yeah. then you need something else. Um, and so you certainly saw in COP26 this year, a lot of governments now committing strongly towards putting in nuclear as nuclear. part of the, the portfolio. Uh, I mean, here in the UK, are probably probably the best example. I mean, Canada's really pushing for it mm-hmm. um the UK we saw them kind of you talk about the future but nothing and then all of a sudden it was once they realized that you have got the power problems you know that you've got gas issues all of those prices are going up they've now committed to the next big reactor build and, and the other thing that everybody's committing to is small modular reactors so the big ones are like 1300 megawatts the little babies go all the way down to 10 megawatts, the micro reactors, and, and, and they can go on the back of a truck. So you, wow. they're, like a big, they're like a big Duracell battery. You just take them off, stick them in the ground, plug them into the grid that's already there, um, and then 20 years later, you take it out and put a new one in. Um, and, but they go up to 300 megawatts. But again, these are no moving parts on them. They work under heat convection. They can be built from founded steel from a normal factory not the big pressurized vessels that we've got now oh, yeah. so, so the, what's really driving uranium now is about a two to three 2.6 percent growth in demand out there and, and accelerating I mean Europe's just come out and said that between now and 2050 they're going to have to invest 500 million Um, 500 billion, um I said, sorry 100 billion uh, d- euros to build reactors. China is putting up another 150 reactors. Um, so, you know, it's pushing it's out. Significant. It's yeah. significant. But the problem is the price has been so low that, you know, we haven't been able to build new mines. Um, and we've now got mines closing um, instead because they've just reached the end of their lives. And so we have now a big disconnect between the demand and the supply side. And the price yeah. is now responding to that action. Uh, and that's why, you know, companies like ourselves, which are permitted, ready to go, um, are getting our projects fit, fu- finished to final feasibility in order to be able to access the capital that will be needed to be able to go into construction.
1: Yeah, we need that supply and we need it urgently because it, it oh, takes absolutely. a while to build build the mine, unfortunately, to actually get to that point. It does. So now from the perspective of investing, um, GovX is a public company. Are you widely held or is there a large insider or institutional block that holds the shares?
2: Um, Insiders themselves hold about 12 13%. We've got about 7% held by Denison Mines. Um, And then the rest is pretty well spread, Uh, about half of it's institutional and half of it's retail. Uh, We trade on the TSXV and on the OTCQX um and we're liquid on both very liquid on both um so you know we've done a lot of work to make sure that you know anybody could buy our shares um and yeah and so it, it it is a great opportunity i mean so our story if you look back in the previous cycles um is investors have made the most money when one a company has gone from being a developer to being a producer because you get a re-rate. You get that re-rate. You suddenly de-risk yourself, and you're no longer a maybe. You are an I am uh, a producer now. Uh, and then the other one, as we were discussing before, is the takeouts. Um, right. And in 2011 cycle, the majority of the takeouts were Africa takeouts, where uh, and because governments, SOEs, etc can own 100% of African projects they can't in North America, whether it's Canada or in the US. So if you want to control the pounds, you go to Africa to get the pounds because you can own the whole project um, right. and control it. So for us, that's a great position to be because we're actually in both camps. We're going to be either get the re-rate or it's the takeout. Um, and, and both are well positioned.
1: Fantastic. So you obviously see... Participating in the uranium world and potentially in a, a stock like your own is quite a good opportunity for investors, as in uh, be it their short-term or long-term
2: portfolios oh, then. Oh, absolutely. I think uranium has – we had a nine-year bear market. Um, it was tough, 2011 all the way through. Uh, really long time and and any commodity that's in that kind of period has massive underinvestment into it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you can have this problem of the undersupply, but when you come out of it, the upside is incredible. I mean, to put it into context, the last time we had a market that looks like it is now was in 2004 when that's the awesome. uranium market went to two in 2007 spot market hit $140 a pound of uranium because the wow. scarcity of the the products, and we have something that's building like that at the moment. It's just got a long grind out because, again, there's a lot of projects that are operating, but their lives are shortening faster. Big mines like Amoco's Cigar Lake at the end of this decade closes. And that's ten percent of world supply. Just there's nothing nothing left to dig, so they that's shut the shop up. Yeah. But yeah same with the big the, the kazakhstan kazakh prom you know they're 40 percent of world supply but their own chart that they put up says but look what happens after 2030 if we don't put new projects in and um, there's no guarantee our new projects are going to start because we've got to do the engineering on them um so you know nothing's a guarantee out there guys yeah, yeah. um and so you know that's it, and then the other thing for someone like us, and what we're seeing with the utilities is diversification. Uh, the, mm. the utilities want diversification, and obviously, what's been going on in in Kazakhstan recently has just underpinned that. When you're relying on Canadian and Kazakh material predominantly uh, as your primary sources, if one of your suddenly goes through, uh, you know, a very troubled time, then you do worry about oh, am I going to get that all the time? Yeah. Where do I worry where it comes from? So again. You know, Niger has been a long long producer since 1971. Um, so, it, yeah, and it's continued to produce. It's a reliable supply country. Um, so, you know, that's why we're very comfortable being there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, platforms like uh, the likes of Robinhood and, and competitors have made it a lot easier for your average retail investor to get involved. But obviously, I mean, last summer we had some... Really newsworthy events, shall we say, which which happen to name Robin Hood. Do you yeah. see those platforms as being a benefit for your average retail investor, or do you think there's more risk in that, and people should go with the traditional investing routes?
2: Well, I, th- I think the reality is, you know, even as an analyst, you know, you never use one parameter to just define the value of a company. Yeah. You know, you, you didn't just use EBITDA, EV to EBITDA. You you know, you use a series of these in comparison. And, and the same goes with platforms like Robinhood. You know, if you're going to put all your eggs into one basket, then you are taking that all of that risk in one place. Gosh. Do the work, diversify your knowledge base to understand the different views that are out there and, and different approaches um and and some are more stayed, and and some cover more detail as well so you know i think it's like all things you know if you're only going to drink one kool-aid then you know you're not gonna it's going to get you in the end spread it around it's a bit like your diet as well you know you only get chocolate bars you're going to get fat
1: yeah yeah or drink too much water you're also not going to survive very well. <laughs> it just doesn't work somehow
2: no, it doesn't work. So, but no, I mean, I think Robinhood is, is is very active, is good. But there are other places, and there are different approaches, and you know that you know people should look out and and see what the spread of information is. Yeah,
1: and I mean, to to a large extent, a lot of that was because of people believing in those who were talking up the stock. And oh yeah, one's yeah. got to know. It, it, that um anything that goes up is gonna come down at some point and unfortunately uh, well, the faster uh, it goes the faster it comes. So.
2: Absolutely. And, and and some just because somebody's talking a stock up, maybe they want to get out of it.
1: <laughs> That's always been my approach, unfortunately. You know, I mean I think your your natural human instinct is um how long can I stay in and, and ride it that's beneficial, but you've got to get out before the plunge?
2: Or... Yes, absolutely. You only, the money's only worth something when it's in your pocket.
1: Oh, so true. So in your career, I mean, you've moved around all over the place. There must have been challenges that you've had. Have you had any particular techniques or secrets that you've used to overcome the challenges along the way?
2: I I think the one thing that helps is just being eternally optimistic um, in this industry. You have to be, I I think at the end of the day, the key thing that I would say, whenever you have a challenge, don't react straight away Mm -hmm. (laughs) is step back. And I tend to do this. If I got something really tough that I've got to deal with, I will walk away from it for a a day for a few hours. (laughs) Because if you respond straight away, you haven't let your brain think about it. Um, and you and, and often you'll come back with a very very much more pragmatic approach to something and going, right, now I've had time to let my brain subconsciously do the work. I know what I need to do. And I know what my plan is going to be. Because if you instantly respond, you're working with your emotions as much as anything else. And that's not the right thing to do. And in a crisis, you don't need that. Sometimes people think, why are you doing it? It's like, I just need you know, that time to get all my thoughts together um, and think about it. And sometimes responding quickly is not the right thing to do.
1: No, very, very true. Other than in a crisis where one has to do something instantaneously.
2: Even in a a crisis, you just shorten the time frame that you walk away. Maybe just half an hour. I just need to step back because in, in many things, You know, it's not a it's not a a black and white scenario. Mm -hmm. Very rarely, and there are implications. Whatever decision you make, there is no straight answer at the other end. And I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do this. Okay, well, what happens if I do that? What are the other implications? And and in a crisis, yeah, you have to think quicker about what it is you're going to do and how it's going to impact you, um, and the company and the cost and the people and everything. So sometimes you just. Take that time first, the five minutes it takes to just think about it.
1: No, absolutely. Really, really valuable. So what do you see, if we call it like three, five, maybe even 10 years, what do you see as the trends that are going to be coming your way in the various, I mean, you, you largely focused in uranium. Well, potentially you're going to develop some other commodities along the way, yeah. um, but there are other micro-trends that impact you as well. So what do you see as the trends coming our direction? In the-
2: I think the one thing we have to keep looking at is always technology and wow. how we apply like technology. I mean, the world's getting – it's interesting as as a miner quite often that, you know, a hammer still breaks things. <laughs> you, know, a, you don't always have to be too smart. Um, you know, sometimes you can overcomplicate things. Uh, being smarter on that – Uh, look most of the trends I I don't see anything really big changes that you can't see already Uh, energy, getting energy forming energy technology is a big driver for us and I think use of energy and energy efficiency is something we look at a lot and how we can build a project and even this one we're doing now being more energy efficient so I think increasing energy efficiency is very much a trend to go forward Uh, it doesn't just have to be energy storage it's okay how can i make everything i do more energy efficient because if it's going to cost you the energy and ways to get it then you've got to get better at doing it uh, i think what we've already seen is this sort of um local approach um increasing across mm-hmm. the world we're already seeing that coming through um i think as our industry carries on again we have to be more efficient with the people that we use um, and there's a balance there particularly in africa where you know You've seen less and less people want to be in the mining industry. It's a great industry, and anyone who doesn't, it's crazy. It, it is a wonderful industry to be in, um, and with you know, you meet great people as well. But in Africa, we're creating jobs as well. We're creating, we're trying to spread wealth and and help a lot of stakeholders. But at the same time, we as an industry have to become more efficient with the people that we use as well. Uh, it has to be sustainable, and it doesn't. That helps us be more sustainable in some ways, you know, inadvertently. Because if you have too many people and the mine closes, then you're dealing with those problems. So, skill up instead, um, so that the people that do leave when you finally have to close a mine have got greater levels of skill. So, I think those are the things we're seeing and will have to continue to go. Um, many of the other issues out there, which are short term, long term, like inflation, think they're always there. We have yeah. to deal with. Um, you know, those are always around.
1: Yeah, they come and go, but that—that's actually an awesome approach to, to, to think about the investing in the skill sets of the people because yeah, the mine's going to close at some point, and if not this current yep. generation, the next generation that's working there. Right. Um, but to to leave them in a better place than they were when when they joined the company yep. in the first place—they're so really valuable. Absolutely. So, in closing, do you have any thoughts that you want to leave listeners with? Anything we perhaps haven't discussed, or other thoughts you have?
2: No, I, I think we've covered the key things. I mean, I think what I really want investors to go away with, you know, is one understand that the uranium market—they need to go. If, if investors should look at that uranium market, and particularly and where nuclear is going, it, it is—we've mm-hmm. gone through a long, hard time. But people have now realized the scope and breadth that's out there in, in nuclear and, and where it's going. And it is safe. It's an incredibly safe industry. You know, we're so heavily regulated um, that it, it it has to be safe. Um and then for us as GovX, you know, the opportunities that we have by having projects that are ready for development, that we're actively moving towards development, it, it is that where the value add is, is of our company. And what we can do, and 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 the and the depth that we go to to make sure that when we get there, you know, if you look at our reports that we produce, uh, you know, our technical reports, they're in depth. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we go through. You, you know, our industry has a problem of, you know. Uh, uh, under committing on capital and certainly expect well you know get it right you know and and we're going through that the level of detail the hazard meetings that we're having at the moment to make sure we understand all of those risks that the way you look at the financing and everything key to do so hopefully that comes across in this conversation for investors as well that you know we're, we're doing the, we're doing it hopefully the right way uh, as well um and uh, it's a great industry um and certainly nuclear industry is looking great
1: no, absolutely. And I mean, you have so much, it's such a positive future with having three alternative projects pretty close to development. There's a lot of upside inherent in it. So, if invest, well, if listeners are interested in learning more or contacting you, how do they do that?
2: Uh, the best ones to come through our info at govx.com. Um, mm-hmm. Go through that email address. Um, we're pretty good at answering. Uh, and very quickly. So I, I would send people that way, first of all. Um, either myself or Isabel will respond to them, depending on the question.
1: Awesome. And what are your ticker symbols on the two markets?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. My tickers are GXU and GVXXF.
1: Fantastic. Well, th- those are good ones to look at. And I do certainly encourage any listeners to take a look at your website as well because you've got some really interesting both shareholder uh, presentations up there, but just a a bunch of information just to learn about the projects that you're working on and, and hear more if anyone is interested. So thank you very much for joining us today. This was a fun conversation. We certainly covered a lot, and there was certainly a lot of learning in this one for our listeners. Have an
0: awesome day.
2: Thank you very much. Much appreciated.
0: The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, the 5F strategy, bottom line growth in any economy without additional sales and marketing, and download the financial growth scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.